0: Welcome to the Crossview Church message of the week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Welcome to Crossview Online. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. We have been walking through a series on the book of Daniel, and we've been asking the question, how do we develop steady faith in difficult times? Now this week is going to be a little bit different from previous weeks. Each week we have tried to leave you with a tool or an encouragement or a perspective shift that can help us grow in our faith through the difficult times that we find ourselves in. As an example, last week we were reminded from Daniel chapter 4 that uh, as a response to our circumstances we get to choose between a measured, faith-filled response or fear-filled reactions. Daniel showed us how having measured and faith-filled responses help us have steady faith in difficult times. One of the things that we see often in the book of Daniel is how uh, the kings that we read about are in one way or another rebellious against God. We see it chapter after chapter and chapter 5 of Daniel is no different. The outcome of this opposition uh, to God is never good for the kings in the book of Daniel. Their disregard for God and his ways always makes life really hard and unsteady. So this week, I'd like to ask God to use chapter 5 as a mirror for you and me. This week, I'd like to emphasize for each of us to do the spiritual practice of reflection, to take a hard look at our attitudes, our, our life, our opinions, our relationships, our walk with God, and ask, God, is there any wicked way in me? Is there any area of my life or my heart or my mind that you need to address? We're gonna use the King Belshazzar from chapter five as a mirror to say, what ways am I like what I see in him? And God, is there any work that you need to do in my life in these areas? We don't usually relate with the villain of a chapter, but I'm asking that we use chapter five as a mirror to say, God, show us where you might have some significant work to do in our heart and in our lives. And if we do that, if we let God do that work, we will be more able to have steady faith in difficult times. You know, as I, as I thought about uh, this practice this week, this verse came to mind from Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me, as I walked along. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies for me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I've lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. So as we hear this story, I'd like for you to try to ask the question, is there any part of my life that looks more like King Belshazzar than it does Daniel? This isn't easy work, but it's important. Being honest about where God needs to continue to work in my life is vital to our spiritual growth and as we'll see, having steady faith in difficult times. So, use your imagination and try to put yourself in the story today. If you were able to conceal yourself amongst the crowd at this royal palace in Babylon, try to imagine what is it that you would see, what is it that you would hear, and what is it that you would experience. Chapter 5 of Daniel starts off uh, this opening with this incredible scene where King Belshazzar, son of Nebuchadnezzar, is having this great feast, it says, with a thousand of his nobles. Now, you can assume that they were being served the best food and the best drink, and that it just kept coming. From what we know of the history at that time, there probably were whole beasts roasting on spits in various places of the hall. Fruits of all kinds and colors were being served. Spices from all over the kingdom were creating this incredible fragrance. And you can bet that in this feast, they had the best musicians playing, the best music, and probably various entertainments of all kinds. Now, not only were there a thousand nobles, it says, but there with the king, it says, his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. There was a tremendous crowd, all of them dressed in the impressive regalia of their day. They were the elite of society and they were enjoying the fruits of their labor. There was, they, were, they were the, the who, who's who of their day on the list for all the important gatherings. Now all of these elements would have made for a spectacular scene. And one man is set apart from the rest, King Belshazzar. The king would have been set uh, apart on probably a raised platform so that all could look up at him and take their cues from him for the night. He most likely had servants attending to him. Um, Probably most were in awe of his power and wealth and thinking to themselves, wow, he's really got it made. He can call for whatever he likes and it's his. He holds the destiny of these men and women in his hand and he's tremendously powerful. At least that's what the chapter wants us to think. The king leads his people uh, in this evening. He leads them in their eating and he leads them in their drinking. And at one point he calls for the golden goblets to be brought in. Now these just weren't any golden goblets. They were sacred remnants from the temple in Jerusalem. These goblets were precious to the Jewish people, but they were also precious to God. In every way here we see Belshazzar, like we said before, setting himself up against God. And while he's doing this in dramatic fashion, the question for our reflection is, are we doing this maybe in smaller and more nuanced ways? It says in chapter 5 verse 4 that they used these golden goblets and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. While all this was going on, God decided to intervene. In Daniel 5 verses 5 through 7, it says this, Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear and his legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon Whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, Belshazzar didn't know what the wall said, but he knew that it said something of deep significance. So he calls all his wise men because it says his knees are knocking, his face is pale. And what he does is he calls for the usual crew. Who is your usual crew when you're facing something difficult? Who is it that you call upon when you're faced with fear? Do you look to the wisdom of this world? Where is your wise counsel? Do you maybe try to go it alone? Do you try to to tough it out? Who is it that you run to when you need help? Well, Belshazzar, like we just said, calls on the usual crew, but again, they can't do a thing for him. uh, His wise men and women of Babylon have failed again and again, and they always will, because when the problem is a spiritual problem, there's no wise person in the world that can cure it. Men and women today continue to call on on wise people to try to cure their needs that can only be cured by God. This is a fundamental lesson in the spiritual life, one that is often so difficult to put into practice. So as the king becomes more and more terrified, the queen, who isn't currently in the room, hears all the commotion and she comes running. In Daniel 5 verse 10. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. And what the queen does is introduce Daniel. So Daniel comes to the king and he gets the same offer. If you sort this all out, you'll be third in the kingdom. You'll wear purple clothes and you'll get a big gold chain. And what does Daniel say at this moment? It's amazing. He says, keep it, king. I don't need it and I don't want it. I have no concern with those things. Daniel immediately presents us with a contrast to the extravagance of this scene. All who are caught up in the grand movement of this part stare at Daniel who looks around and says, all of this is nothing. I love the character of Daniel. For chapters in this book, for years of his life, the rulers of Babylon think that they can persuade him with rewards of power or gold or riches or even threats of death. What are the things you most value in your life? Have they been given the right priority in your life of faith? Daniel chapter 5.17 says this, And Daniel answered the king, Keep your gifts or give them to someone else. But I will tell you what the writing means. Daniel recognizes what kind of problem the king has. He says, If I do anything today, O king, it will be be because God does it. And if I do anything today, it will be so that God is glorified by it. You can't pay me, king, to glorify you, and you can't get me to give you my allegiance. And just so you know how powerful my God is, he, he continues, I'd like to remind you about what happened to your father. And then Daniel shares this in verse 20 and 21. But when his heart, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. So now this is fascinating because Daniel helps the king identify where his problem is by telling him the story of what happened to his father, Nebuchadnezzar. For Nebuchadnezzar, the problem started in his heart and then went to his mind. Did you notice that? Let's look at it again in Daniel 5 verses 20 and 21. It says, "When but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal." Did you see that? His heart became hardened before God and his mind then became confused and he couldn't see clearly. He lost his mind. And I know that we've touched on this in a few different ways throughout the series. But often we fail to recognize when we've elevated other worldly things to the place of supreme importance in our hearts. Either that or there remains unconfessed sin or lingering sin. Often we call it besetting sin in our hearts that separate us from the heart of God. One commentator I read this week uh, said it this way. He said, How long will it take us to realize that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart? And that many of the concerns of the mind have to do with a rebellious and hard heart. Because a hardened or misdirected heart leads to a confused and misguided mind where we can't see with God's eyes what's happening in the world around us. And if we can't see our world through faith-filled hearts with God's eyes, then we can become overwhelmed, we can become fearful and unsteady in our faith. A passage that has been so very meaningful to Christina and I in our marriage is from Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 and it says this. You probably know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Isn't that good news? If Nebuchadnezzar had come to the wise men and women of our day, who knows what advice that they would have given him, but they would have missed the mark each time because the reason for the king's problem, for Nebuchadnezzar's problem, was that his heart was arrogant, proud, and that he denied God in his life. The heart's condition affects the mind's condition. This is such an important lesson for us to learn. And if you're like me, it's not a, one of those learn at once and we've got it kind of lessons. It seems that uh, if the lesson like this is one that I need to be reminded of again and again, and I don't know about you, but that's true of me. And this is also true of Belshazzar. In fact, it's the first thing that Daniel points out, that Belshazzar hasn't learned this same lesson that his father learned. We find this in verses 22 and 24. 24, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Throughout scripture, the Bible teaches us that humanity was created for fellowship with God. That is, loving relationship together. It teaches us that we are at our best when we are glorifying God. Belshazzar, like his father, had turned that upside down and said, I'm at my best when I glorify Belshazzar. I can do my own thing. I can live the way I want. I can drink from these sacred vessels if I choose. I can do what I like and I can do it when I like. You see, the human tendency toward pride, toward ignoring the ways of God, was not only alive back then for Belshazzar, but it's alive today for us as well. And so Belshazzar sits there and he pleases himself. He gathers his friends around him and they all indulge in their own desires. Human pride and arrogance can be extravagant and exquisite, attractive, and fun. Belshazzar gathered for a great feast with a thousand of his nobles. The drinks are flowing, the music is playing. Who from the kingdom wouldn't want to be there? And yet, as we just read, Daniel had hard words for him. Again, he said, "...but you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. But you've set up, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drink wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand." Daniel looks at the king in this moment and says, "'It's hopeless, Belshazzar. "'The idols that you praise cannot see or hear "'or even understand. "'They're of no use to you compared to God.'" And I wonder if Belshazzar begins to have some understanding as as he looks at his wise men and sages uh, who served all of these gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood, and they could do nothing for him. And there stands Daniel with the word of the Lord, and he drives it home for Belshazzar. And thankfully for us, God has fully revealed himself in Jesus Christ. We know God's redemption. And yet people still worship in vain these things. People still hope in idols that cannot see and cannot hear or understand, which are no use to anyone at all. And Daniel looks at the king and says, just as a reminder to you in, this, in all of this extravagance, it's God who holds your very breath, your life in his hands and controls your destiny. And it's that God who has sent you this message tonight. And it is not a good message. Daniel looks at the king and says, God says that your days are numbered Your reign has been brought to an end. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Your kingdom has been divided, given to the Medes and the Persians. So God intervenes in the life of Belshazzar on that night in his palace. And while God's message to the king that night was one of judgment, God mercifully continues to intervene throughout the course of history. Even today, mercifully and with love, it's in and through the person of Jesus Christ. What is God saying to you this morning? How is God's spirit moving in your heart and in your mind? What areas of your life is God asking you to spend some time in reflection on? We have an opportunity to learn from Belshazzar here, to learn not to be like Belshazzar, but to instead acknowledge God for who he is and who we are and how much we need him. We have a loving God who gave his life for us, who comes and offers us life and peace and purpose and forgiveness. Let us not be like Belshazzar and set ourselves up pridefully on the throne of our heart or our life. Let's let God renew our heart, renew your mind today. Let him give you the hope that only he can offer. Don't be fooled by things that look fancy, but that can't see or hear or know anything at all. They're no use to us. You know that God has sent a message written to our hearts today as well. But unlike the writing on the wall, it's through his spirit on our hearts. Let's use Belshazzar as a mirror with Daniel as the message bringer, the spirit of God as our guide. Our hope is in Jesus. In these days, when everything seems unsteady and upset, one of the best ways that we can have steady faith in difficult times is to realize that at times we get just a little bit off course, and we need God to soften our hearts, lead us back to him. And in doing so, we can experience the the steadiness of a thriving faith no matter what comes. So I know this is uh, kind of a, a different approach to the chapter this week, but let's use this chapter as a mirror and ask, how in my life might I be like Belshazzar? And God, what kind of work do you need to do to bring me closer to you, to help me experience your life, your purpose, your freedom? I'm so thankful for the Bible and I'm so thankful for the book of Daniel and all the ways that it's been instructing us. All these moments that give us pause, that help us ask, how can we have a steady faith in difficult times? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for your word and we ask God that you soften our hearts in these moments, that you do the work that you reveal to us maybe where we need to spend some time in prayer or confession, where we need to ask forgiveness, maybe where we need to ask for a softened heart. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit that moves in us. We love you and praise you. Be with us now as we just continue to worship and as we take uh, communion together. We give you praise in your name. Amen.